like Paul said, that when these things happen, we got to learn to stop and acknowledge that he's here. He's here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all can sit down. Well, they let me come back. <laughs> so I guess it wasn't too bad. So <laughs> I was uh, thinking, how am I going to start this? And an old story, of Kath, uh, Amy Simple McPherson came to my mind that people wouldn't come and hear her speak because she was a woman. And finally, one day, she got the church full, and she hollered back to the usher, lock the door. They're not getting out till I'm finished. Lock the door. So I figured that's a fire hazard, so we're not going to lock the door. <laughs> but then I said, well, maybe we can have an old me and an old my side. And then the Lord said, no, don't do that. We're not talking down. We're going to talk up today. So I said, all right, Lord, how about a hallelujah and an amen side? Amen. So, all right, so we're going to do Hallelujah on this side, y'all ready? We're going to practice so y'all can be, you know. You ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah. All right, y'all are the ameners. You ready? One, two, three. Amen. All right, y'all ready? Now you can participate. So this morning I want to talk to you about a story found in Luke chapter 2. Not yet, Danny. A story that's easily read over because it's only uh, one time in the Bible. Usually when you see something, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, it's repeated in one of the other Gospels, but this is not. And um, Joe mentioned it on Tuesday night, so if y'all were here, you're going to hear their names. And I'm talking about Mary and Joseph, and when they went into the temple, Jesus was about 40 days old. They was taking him in for his purification rituals and for Jesus to be presented to the Lord. They presented their males to the Lord. And then that's where they met the two prophets of Simeon and Anna. And that's who Joe mentioned. Hey, y'all don't get scared. This is, uh, this is double-spaced and large print so I can read it. <laughs> we won't be here till 2 o'clock. It's all right. So that's where we're going to start with... Uh, Mary and them coming into the temple. So in Luke 2, 22, and um, I'm going to read right now through 26. Now, when the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law, or yeah, in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is all to fulfill Leviticus 12, the Old Testament. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation or comfort, relief of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I wanted to pause there because I was raised in a denomination to where I was told all of my life Jesus, uh, God was silent between the Old Testament and New Testament. Have any of y'all ever heard that or am I the only one that got that? Right, that God was silent between the Old Testament and New Testament. 400 years of crickets. Don't let anyone ever tell you God is silent. If there is an ear listening, God will speak. And that proves it right there where it says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, basically. Amen. So don't ever let anybody tell you God is silent. He is not silent. Amen. The Holy Spirit speaking, God speaking. Amen. So Luke 2, 27, we'll pick up there. So Simeon came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
Simeon took him up in his arms, blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And this light to the Gentiles is referring to Isaiah 49, 6, where Isaiah prophesied that I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the end of the earth. And this scene, this didn't take place for 700 years. What he said right there did not take place. Joe mentioned that Tuesday. 700 years from that time that Isaiah said this to when they were going to see this take place. But, we're going to call that a now moment in the temple. It was happening now. We need more now moments, right? So he mentioned Andrew and Pam's son getting engaged this past week, and I thought about that. And they were so excited on Facebook, and I'm sure Pam and Andrew's so excited about it. But that's not the now moment. You know, now they'll go into planning they're going to go into invitations and they'll go into all the baby the baby shower woo, wedding shower <laughs> wedding showers and uh, all those kind of things and the excitement and the anticipation builds and it builds and it builds and the busyness and the planning and then one day they'll walk down the aisle and it's going to be that now moment now and that's what's happening here, is that now moment he had walked in. So everything since Adam and Eve had been leading up to that moment, really and truly. Whenever the prophecy was given that someone would come that would crush the head of the enemy. This is the now moment. So Joseph and Mary, verse 33 marveled at these things which were spoken of Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through, my, through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayer night and day, just like we just sang. And coming in that instant, now... She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So here Luke introduces us to Anna, the prophetess, but he only gives us three verses about her. So it's not very much information, but it is enough for us to learn something about her. That it says she was the daughter of Phanuel. And when you look that up, Phanuel means face of God. That was her family name, face of God. That is good. I don't care if you like it or not, Danny. <laughs> that is good. That her family name would actually prophesy what was going to happen one day in that temple that she looked down and to God in flesh, the face of God. Luke also said she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. So Anna gives us a faithful and godly vision of what our life should be constantly before the Lord. Night and day, night and day, we should, we should be giving it to the Lord. So we see in our story that Simeon and Anna recognizes the Messiah coming into the temple. Two people. In Deuteronomy 17, 19, the Old Testament law required the evidence of two people to establish an important legal charge was fixing to take place. 
And I believe that what we saw there with Simeon and Anna, that was your two witnesses saying, there's a shift in the kingdom coming. He's coming in. Simeon confessed Jesus as the Lord Christ, and Anna confessed Jesus as the Redeemer of Israel. That's all you needed, those two witnesses. And they were pronouncing, basically, the Messiah has arrived. So, I came with show and tell today. Paul, can I get... <laughs> Hallelujah. Hey! Uh, so, if we try to get a visual of what's going on here, we see Mary and Joseph coming up the steps in front of Herod's temple holding baby Jesus. And uh, these are steps that's actually being uh, excavated right now in Jerusalem. And these are the steps that are closest to the Wailing Wall, which is the only standing wall left of the temple. So these could be the very steps that Mary and Joseph walked up with Jesus. But what hit me was none of them's the same. See, one of them's shallow, one of them's deep, one of them's medium. And so I looked at first, I thought, well, that's the wear and tear over time, you know. And I started looking, and I thought, that looks purposeful. So I looked it up, and it was designed that way. So you could not rush into the presence. You had to purposely walk up each step so you didn't trip, didn't fall. You knew where you were heading, and every step gave you time to think about what's going to happen when I get to the top. So there's another example of how we should enter into his presence. The design was to make people think about the fact that they were fixing to come into the house of God and to prepare themselves for that. You couldn't nonchalantly run into the temple. With every step, you had the chance to reevaluate yourself. They were asking themselves, is my lamb really spotless? Do I need another dove? They would have never dreamed of running into the presence of God for entertainment. Never. They knew it was a holy place, and they knew his presence was there. And they were going there to be changed. And this particular temple was magnificent. It's listed as one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple that Jesus was brought in. I didn't know that either, but I do now. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. And uh, the historian Josephus saw this building for himself, and this is what he wrote about it. The exterior of the building lacked nothing that could astound either mind nor eye. To approaching strangers, it appeared from a distance like it was a snow-clad mountain, for all of it was either overlaid with gold or purest white. So it was, it was the place to be. The importance of that temple had in those days can't be measured by anything that us as American Christians would ever experience today. The Levites were worshiping in there and the rabbis are teaching in there. The priests are sacrificing and Anna lived in there. The temple was busy. It was the Mecca of the city. And you have to wonder what Mary and Joseph was thinking going up those stairs. See, they knew who they had with them. That was their secret. They were taking up those stairs with them. They knew they had God and flesh with them. Nobody else did. They had heard all the Old Testament stories, all of the power. Mary's dad, I told you the first time I spoke, Mary's dad was a, was a scroll scholar. So she had heard every story that you ever heard in Sunday school. She heard those stories. So I wonder, are they going up those stairs and they're wondering, is fire going to come down? You know, like with Moses. 
Is heaven going to open like it did with Jacob? Who knows? Is God going to speak audibly like he did with Abraham? They had no clue how the Messiah was going to be revealed. They already knew who Jesus was. They just didn't know how he'd be revealed. What were they thinking going up those steps? You got to wonder. So they took him up the steps, and this is what happened. Simeon took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Now, Lord, you're releasing your servant to depart from the world in peace according to your word. For with my own eyes I've seen your salvation, which you have ordained and prepared before all people. And that's when Simeon started prophesying about the Gentiles, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to bring praise and honor and glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at this. They knew who he was, and they still marveled. They knew who he was. Simeon saw Jesus and said, I've seen the Messiah, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. He didn't have anything left to see on this earth. He had seen the Messiah. He didn't have to see a single miracle. He didn't have to see the dead raised. He didn't have to see blind eyes open. He, didn't, he saw the Messiah, and that was enough. He didn't have to see any of that. He caught eyes of the Savior, and once he was in Jesus' presence, he knew there was nothing left for him on this earth. That's it. So my question for y'all today is why in a temple, the Mecca of the city, you got to realize they're buying here, selling here, everything in their life revolved around that temple. Everything. That's the center. That would be like our White House churches, Walmart, all in one place, all in one place. So why is it that everybody's there, they're all there for the same reason, they're all worshiping the same way, they're all praying and waiting for the Messiah, but when he walked in, only two people recognized him. Out of all those people, only two people knew when the Messiah walked in. We have to check ourselves. <laughs> that, that's, that's sobering. That you can be in a place where you're all, you all seem to be looking toward the same vision. You all seem to be praying for the same thing. And when it happens, only two people. So we should be praying, you know, asking the Lord to open our eyes that we can see him and to open our spiritual ears so we can hear him, so that when we're among all this happening and the busyness and even in the church, that we know that we're listening. We're listening. We're turning our ear toward God, right, for him to manifest himself. All right, Paul, next show and tell, please. This has nothing to do with the 90-degree right angle. All right, I want to tell y'all a little story that I'm going to call my Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> I grew up right off Pass Road in Gulfport. Many if, if any of y'all have lived here long enough, you'll remember the exact places I'm talking about. I lived probably about right here where this zero is, the degree sign. And right up here was the old airport. Y'all remember when the airplanes had to come around and they all landed right off Pass Road and went in that way. They all circled around the Gulf and they landed that way. And right over here was the railroad tracks. And they came through about three or four times a week. And right back here behind my house, 
I promise y'all I had a good childhood. <laughs> right behind my house was a graveyard. Okay? And then right next to that graveyard, about right here, they built the brand new juvenile detention center at the time. So that's the only house I knew from the time I was about six months old. So I, I never knew another home till I got married. And um, it was normal to me. Those planes would come through five. It depended on Kies if Keesler was doing uh, all their practices and stuff. It'd be all day, every day. But three, four, five times a day, those planes would circle around the Gulf, and they started descending right above our house. And it would just be, you know, everybody stopped because you can't hear nothing. You can't talk on the phone. You can't. You just stop and wait, and it'd land, and then everything resumed. So then about three or four times a week, that big train had come through. We lived in an old stick-built house up off the ground with them old single-pane windows. <laughs> and those trains had come through, and it'd be, those windows would shake, and everybody would just sit there and wait. And then we just resumed our every day. You know, it, that was life for us. Well... About every three or four months, somebody would escape from the juvenile detention center. <laughs> and we would find orange jumpsuits under the car or under the house or where they've stripped off their jumpsuits and they're trying to get to that graveyard and hide. So they'd all go through our yard to get there. So that was normal to me completely normal. I wasn't, I wasn't freaked out. I wasn't scared. It was normal. That's what we did. But when I had company over and that plane would start descending or that train would start rattling the windows or they'd see cops patrolling <laughs> down the road, it freaked them out. You know, it, it was not their environment. It freaked them out. They wanted to call their mom and go home. They wanted to lock the doors. We never locked our doors, even if we knew they were out there. It was home. And what had happened was I had become desensitized to my environment because it's what I lived in. It was when somebody else walked in and it's like, what is going on here? And we hear that, man, we have friends that come over from Louisiana sometimes and they're in here and they said, we pulled up in that parking lot and what is going on here? You can just feel the spirit in this place. Or we have visitors walk through the door. We knew the first time we walked in here that this is the place. And I ask, could we be becoming desensitized to the neighborhood we live in? Right? These are questions we do have to ask ourselves. I've become familiar with all the things around me, and that's what we do here in church. Many times you hear people say, don't take this personal, and then they say something that you take personal, you know. Well, I'm going to say take it personal, and I mean take it personal. Could this be you, and could this be me? The ones that go to church, we say our prayers, we all try to be good people. We're in an overwhelming, I mean, look, the song service. We're an overwhelming overflow of the Holy Spirit. And could we be desensitized to our environment like the other hundreds of people that were in the temple when Jesus walked in? They didn't even notice it. We can pick up our phones and you can get any translation of the Bible just like that. You can stream any worship song you want. 
pull up any preacher you like, any time of the day. We have got more outlets than any time in history to fill ourselves with the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? But have we become desensitized to the fact that Jesus walked in the temple? I lived in the neighborhood that I called the Bermuda Triangle, but could we be in the neighborhood of blessing and plenty and comfort so much that when God's presence comes in, we don't even feel it? His overflowing and his outpouring, we see it all the time. We see it all the time. Pastor Andrew said one time in a sermon, and it really stuck with me, that are we so focused on the spectacular that we're missing the supernatural? Because it's happening. It is happening. Are we so focused on hearing thunder from heaven that we're missing him whispering to us? Saying, just come sit in my presence. Just, just come be with me. I don't need you to do that. Just come be with me. We've become so familiar that we can't even hear the whisper. And if we do, it doesn't affect us, and that's even worse. It doesn't make us drop to our knees anymore. It doesn't make us cry anymore. We're becoming desensitized. We need to worship God for no other reason but he deserves it. That's it. He deserves it. He's worthy of the praise. Has nothing to do with the way you feel. Has nothing to do with what happened to you this morning. It has nothing to do if somebody falls out under the power or you get goosebumps. It does not matter. None of that matters. Doesn't matter if you're having a bad day or you stumped your toe getting out of bed to get to church this morning. He's still worthy. And we're starting to forget that. He is still worthy. It doesn't matter if you don't have the personality to worship. He didn't ask you, do you have the personality to worship me? He said, worship me and raise your hands and clap and sing all you people. That's what he said. He didn't say, do you feel like it? No. He's worthy and it's about him. It's not about me, and it's not about you. And Luke reminds us over and over and over in his book that if you encounter Jesus, it should change your life forever. Forever. That ass, that leper that was cleansed, if it changed his life. Ask the blind man if he could see if it changed his life. Ask the dead man when he was breathing again, if it changed his life, all right? He was declaring, I guarantee you, I, it doesn't say anything else really about him, but I promise you the rest of his life he was declaring the word of the Lord. I promise you. All these things are examples of what happens when you come in the presence. And we have started making it exceptions. It's not an exception for certain people. We have gotten to a place where when people are touched by the Holy Spirit and moving in the things of God that they are looked at as an exception, that they're special, they've been touched. Someone at some time made up a rule of what normal Christian people are and then you have these wonderful, fantastic people like the Billy Grahams or Earl Roberts or the Revivalist, and somehow they're the exception to the rule. Now, grant you, I know that there are people that have got anointings for special things, but they are examples of what you and I can do. There is no exception to that rule. When you come in contact with Jesus, just like Simeon and Anna did, that is an example of what your life should be. It stops for Jesus. Their life stopped. Jesus walked in. 
We should not just be coming to church to hear about Jesus. We should be coming with expectation to experience him when we get here. We have got to start recognizing when we are in his presence that it's not your emotions and it's not your feelings that should dictate what you do and how you act. Because he said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. So we've already met that criteria. He's here. My goal in life is that I'll hunger for him more and not just knowledge of him. I want to know him. I want when God looks down, he's going to look down on me like he did Abraham and say, that's my friend. And I refuse to be among the religious people that are going about doing their duties in the temple. And when Jesus walked in, I can't even recognize him. I refuse to be that person. I want to know that when the Holy Spirit shows up in any form, whether it's wind or fire or thunder or whisper, a still small voice that I'm able to recognize, hey, hey, that's the Holy Spirit. I do not want to be so busy talking about what is to come that I miss it when it's here. And at times we have all gotten to that place. So back in the temple, Simeon and Anna were the only two that recognized the spirit of the living God walking in, coming in. Everyone in the temple was singing about the Messiah, praying for him to come, reading the scriptures. The prophecies are going on. They're happening in the church. And when he showed up, two people recognize him. I believe it's because Anna and Simeon were expecting him to show up. They were waiting for him. They knew he could come at any time. He was not something off in the dear, the distant future to them. He was a now. He was a now Messiah. They were waiting for him now. Now, my uncle just passed away last week, and thinking about him, it reminded me as a little girl whenever they would come and visit, and, um, you know, back then they'd call and say, okay, we'll be there Friday. That's all we knew until they knocked on the door, right? So Friday would come, and up until about breakfast, I'd be playing or whatever, and then I'd eat breakfast, and then every time I'd hear a car, I'd run over and open the windows and look. No, then I'd go back and play a little bit. And then I'd hear a car and run over and open the windows and look. So then about noon when I had my lunch, though, then I knew they, they're really on their way now. So then I'd watch TV from the couch. So all I had to do was look through the window then, right? So I'm sitting on the couch, and I'd hear something. I'd look through that window. So when it got supper time, though, and I went back in there, I was on my knees looking out the window. You couldn't budge me off that couch because I knew, even though I didn't know the time, I knew they were coming. It's Friday and they are coming. That's the way we should be when we walk through those doors. He's coming. He's coming. Let me get up there. He's coming. He's coming. I know because I'm here. And there's two of us. He's coming. So let me tell everybody he's coming. Let me get up in there. Right? No doubt he's coming. And we got to be that way whether it's in this building, whether it's in your house, whether it's on your job. He's coming because he should be showing up with you. When you walk in, he should be showing up with you. We have to be aware of his presence. We have to actively, Paul done use this word this morning, purposely wait for him, not doubting he's going to show up because I'm bringing him with me. I'm walking up them steps with Jesus. We have to worship, inviting him to invade our space. 
And the Holy Spirit never disappoints. Ever. It doesn't say he might show up. He will show up. In Genesis 26, 18, the Bible talks about Isaac redigging the wells. A lot of people have used that scripture lately. But it's in the Bible. And he redug those wells remembering what his father did. He did it in remembrance. But we cannot come to church remembering things of the past all the time. Of how it used to be. How good it used to be. Y'all remember that? Oh, man, those uh, Smith Wigglesworth revivals. Uh, now, I love revivals, so I can say this. All those great Smiggle, uh, wi Smith Wigglesworth revivals or what happened in Brownsville, y'all remember? Woo, we was on fire. You're redigging those wells, and that's remembering, but God is for now. That is for encouragement. That is for remembrance. That is something to build on. That's not a place to linger. We have got to start coming to church with expectations that it's going to happen now, that it is for us, that it's going to happen here. We've got to have our now moment. Now. I heard a preacher say not too long ago that if heaven has a clock, it's set to now. That's what now. The word now is mentioned 1,355 times in the Bible. What does it say now is? Hebrews 11.1 1 says now is faith. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says the Lord says I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to be healed. Now is the day to be delivered. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is now in Matthew 10, 7. So now is the time that we need to be getting into his presence. Because in the world that we're living in today, if you are putting off anything to do with your relationship with Jesus, you are living on dangerous ground. I mean, it is happening all around us. And Jesus is for now. The Holy Spirit's for now, and we have got to recognize when he walks in. We've got to. We have to be a Simeon, or we have to be an Anna. We have to be. I want to see God's presence in my marriage. I want to see him in my kids, my grandkids, my finances, my ministry. Everywhere I look. Hey, y'all don't worry about that, baby. You know what? When you hear a baby, that is life. You hear me? That means something's living. Something's alive. Silence is death. We want to hear it cry. Woo! I want to see and encounter the power of God in my life now in this moment. And when Jesus was being carried up those steps in the temple, Jerusalem was in bad shape. They were being ruled by Herod the Great. He was a friend to Rome. They, they were just in bad shape. It was a bad time to be a Jew, period. But with all that trouble that was happening, the Messiah showed up. Now, how many of y'all think we in bad shape? We are in bad shape today. The worst we've ever seen, right? You think it's time for the Messiah to show up? That's it. We've got to recognize that sometimes our troubles and difficulties are less about the enemy coming against us and more about God setting a stage for him to show up. Let me say that again. Y'all didn't get that. Okay. Jerusalem's in bad shape. They thought it was over, lights out for them, and the Messiah showed up. We've got to recognize that sometimes our troubles and difficulties could be less about the devil and more about God setting a stage in your life for him to show up and show out.
right? The word says in 2 Chronicles 16.9, his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong. He's looking for people to show himself strong too on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He wants to show out. He wants to show up. And he wants to show you what it looks like when God is for you and not against you. Israel needed an encounter with Jesus bad. America needs an encounter with Jesus bad. And when Jesus arrived on the scene, two people, I'm going to say it again, two people recognized him because he didn't come like they thought he would. They were looking for a king to sit on a throne or a warrior to fight battles for them. And when they looked, that was just a helpless baby being dedicated in the temple. But all the authority and miraculous working power of God was inside of that baby. Everything they needed was inside of that baby. It wasn't what they expected, so they didn't recognize him. It wasn't in the package they prayed for. It was not the answer to their prayer. So it must not be God, because that's not what I prayed for. Jesus did not meet up to their expectations. And we have to be careful that when the Holy Spirit's in the room, we're not looking for something else. Jesus was being carried by his mother right into the middle of their religious gathering where people had come to perform all their duties. And all the people who were gathered there that day were in the presence of the one that they were praying for to come and didn't even know it. So basically they were at church and they didn't recognize Jesus. Is it possible that we can be at church every Sunday and not recognize Jesus? Can we read our plans every day on our Bible app and still not hear the voice of God because we're not listening with expectation? If our eyes are not opened and our ears are not bent toward God, waiting with expectation for him to show up, then we are just the ones sitting back at the temple praying for the Messiah to come, singing our songs, doing our religious duties, and when he shows up, we don't know he's here. We cannot miss out on our encounter with God because he does not look like we want him to look like. Joe mentioned a few Sundays ago about Mary and Martha in Luke 10, 38. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She, Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of the work? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. And he mentioned that Jesus saying it twice, that meant, listen up. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things. She's worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. There was only one thing she needed, and that was to be at the feet of Jesus. Mary was chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. We cannot be so distracted with the things of this world that we can't recognize that we're in the presence of Jesus. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. 
At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Exodus 33, 14 says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. We have got to get into his presence for our own good. I can't tell you how much this has changed my life in the last few months that I have purposely, Paul confirmed it this morning during uh, earlier when he said that he has started purposely acknowledging Jesus. I have purposely started getting, I said, Lord, we do everything else. I purposely get up and go to work. I purposely get dressed and come to church. I purposely go and visit my mama. I do everything purposely. And then we just expect Jesus to magically, I don't know, drop down on us. We don't purposely just get into his presence. And that I've started doing that. I have started caref very carefully choosing my worship music and purposely turning it on and saying, all right, Lord, I'm going to wait for you. I'm not doing nothing till you show up. Nothing. And he's never disappointed me. He will show up if you ask him to come. Purposely getting into the presence of God. Because you know what? I want that fullness of joy. I want that pleasures forevermore. I want him to give me rest. And all of that is found in his presence. We have to get in his presence. The word says to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. It doesn't say I might. He will. You do it and he'll do it. I guarantee you. I'm going to make sure he knows that I'm on the front row of the Mission Church in Social Mississippi. I make sure. When I stand here, I purposely raise my hands. I purposely, you know, there's a, a verse in the Bible talking about sending up incense, offerings to the Lord. I'm not over here just flapping my hands because I'm a crazy woman. <laughs> It's because I am purposely sending up that you are worthy. This is about you, Lord. This is yours. You love me. You've provided for me. You're worthy, Jesus. Nobody's like you. It's because I'm purposely sending up my sacrifice. And to do that, sometimes I have to die to flesh because I stand here and I think, man, them people think I am a loony bird back there watching me do all this crazy stuff but you know what we're gonna go back to it's not about you and it is not about me it is about he is worthy and it doesn't matter how i feel about it he accepts my prayers as incense offered to him and upraised hands as an evening offering at psalms 141 2 i tell him how much he's worthy I tell him he's the only one worthy to receive it. We've, I have, we've got to purposely start meeting with Jesus. We've got to. It will change your life. The other day, me and Joe were sitting in the living room watching a documentary, which we used to do all the time. We love history documentaries. So we're sitting there and we're watching it and neither one of us really said anything. Then all of a sudden he turned and he looked toward me and he said, this is boring. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it is. He said, uh, let's put on some Jesus. I said, okay. So I don't know what he turned it to, but we started listening to worship or preaching or something. And I thought to myself, and, and nothing's wrong with history documentaries. Nothing's, I'm not saying anything's wrong, but this is what's happened. That old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And we've started looking at Jesus so much that even something we used to enjoy that nothing's wrong with, 
and it was boring compared to him. And we've all got to get to that place because the most self-sabotaging thing you can do to yourself is not get in the presence of Jesus every day, every day. I'm learning that the more time I spend with him, the easier it is to get in that place of intimacy. And the deeper I walk with him, the less of me and the less of the world I take with me because it's just him every day. Our hunger for God has got to be stronger than the hunger for anything that we have in our flesh. Anything. We've got to feed our spirit because if you do not, I guarantee you the flesh will win every time. Every time. It is strong. The flesh is strong. And you have got to kill it daily. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We've got to get hungry and thirsty for Jesus, for his presence, for what he can give us. There has got to become a time, some time in your spiritual walk, where you cross over from being a consumer and start becoming a contributor and getting into his presence purposely. That goes to the milk and the meat thing. You know, for babies need milk, but I'm not going to feed you your steak. Come and get it. We're going to do one more worship song. But this time I'm asking you not just to sing it and not just to stand there. I'm telling you that you need to expect the Holy Spirit with purpose. Do something. Come to the front. Go to the back. Get in the aisle. Raise your hands. Tap your toe. But do something, something to acknowledge his presence is here. Something to say, Lord, it's about you. This is not about me. I'm going to do something today I hadn't done before. I'm going to do something to show you I'm offering up my praise to you. That you're worthy. That it's not about me. It's about you. Do something do something to bring his presence in your life. Brother Paul. <laughs>